Blog Talk Radio. Pleasant, good afternoon, good afternoon, good afternoon, one and all. Welcome back to another edition of Chatting with Dr. Leonard Richardson. Now today, Saturday, every Saturday, we come online at 12 noon Eastern Time, or our local time is Atlantic Standard Time, and we go for a full hour. Now, I'm your host, and with me would be Dr. Leonard Richardson. But today we have a very special and unique guest who will be sharing with us some of the similar things we do here in the Virgin Islands, but from a stateside perspective, and she does a lot that can really embellish what we're doing here. So let's just go ahead and say welcome to Dr. Richardson. Welcome, Doc. Welcome, and good day to the listening audience, wherever they are. It's in a little bit of Danish. Day, uh, <laughs> yeah. It's always good to say good day because depending upon whether or not you're in Atlantic Standard Time, Eastern Standard Time, or if you're Mountain Time, Pacific Time, whatever the time zone, it's always good day because we don't know exactly what kind of time you have. But nevertheless, we say, Guten Morgen, that's German, as in Deutsch, Guten Morgen. And uh, in Danish, we would say, Verkommen, that's okay. Danish. I, yes, I do not know to say that in Norwegian, but nevertheless, it would be just as applicable. Yes. Pardon me? It's similar to Danish, yes. Yes, I know, I know. Yeah, I know but, for, our, for our audience. It's just a pronunciation oh, okay, difference. Yes. <laughs> exactly. Yes, okay, and when it comes... When it comes to that kind of thing, I like to be precise so that I do not yes. give a mispronunciation or misrepresentation. Okay. Well, good That's morning okay. and welcome and good day. Welcome to our person, Miss okay. Newton, you said? Ne- good. Nielsen, Go ahead. Nielsen. Miss Uel Nielsen. She has a typical Norwegian name. Interesting. Okay, well, very let's well. Go ahead and bring her home. Good morning, Go Uel. Good afternoon. How are you today? Thank you for inviting me on the show. Oh, we're glad to have you here. And our audience will be jumping for joy when they hear what you have to offer. My goodness. Go ahead, Doc. You have something you want to add? No, she can begin. Okay, great. Well, one of the first things I want to tell you, well, the music you heard today was one of our typical uh, Quill, Quill Bay music. Quill Bays, we'll get into that later on, but Quill Bays, the local music of the natives of the slaves that we have hung on to, and we use it very much so today in the school. But to get things started, yeah, let's go ahead and introduce you. Now, I would like to tell the audience a little bit about you, but I'll turn to you to fill in the gaps that I leave out. Now, this young lady who we're so proud to have as our guest today, her name is Yuel E-U- E-L-L. I found out that's a combination of her mother's first name and her father's first name. I'll let her fill in the gap on that. Her last name is Nielsen, a typical Scandinavian name, which applies a lot right here in St. Thomas and even more so in St. Croix, where you have a lot of Nielsen's there. But this young lady came to St. Thomas not too long ago because, guess why? She loves the culture, and she has a lot she wants to learn from our culture, and we have a lot we can learn from her. So without further ado, let's go ahead and uh, bring you along to tell us a little bit more about herself. You all, please share with the audience your background. I came up in New Jersey, and I was in an all-Caucasian neighborhood, an all-Caucasian school, all-Caucasian church. I think from kindergarten to fourth grade, I was the only person of color in my class for the first four years. And in my schools, I did not learn a lot about myself or my culture. I can tell you that through my um, my adult life, through high school and through my young adult life, I knew my family history, but I did not 
get into my African American just culture of my people yeah. and what we have done on this earth. So as I started to indulge in it, I fell in love with the path that we have all taken from across the diaspora of the islands and the lands of which we originate, of how we spread Mm -hmm. from the original land of Africa. It surprised me how many people of color did not know that Egypt was in Africa and thought it was a whole different place. So I began to share these stories and tell people what it is that I learned because it seems they didn't know it either. (laughs) Yes. Wow. And from there, I've just been beginning to share. Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. Ran down to many ways with my church. Yes, sharing with writing. um, I've always wanted to be an author, and I was looking online for some information for my church, and I came across a website that didn't have any. And I asked them why they didn't have any information. They said, because you haven't written it yet. So I set the task at writing that information, and the editor said, okay, that's good. Why don't you write about the pastor of the church who was a former slave that was emancipated to become the first African-American Presbyterian minister in the United States? And after I finished writing that, he said, okay, keep going. And here I am. I just completed, and number 66 writing was just posted wow. on the webpage, blackpath.org. Wow, wow, wow. So it's been a journey from two writings on to 66 and counting. Wow. Now, are those writings available online for listeners to, to read? Yes. Uh, the listeners can go to www.blackpath.org. Dot org backslash contributor backslash Nielsen and I E L S E N dash E U E L L. And they can find all of the information for myself and yes. for the writings that I have completed. Okay. Blackpass.org is the nation's largest website that has over 20,000 writings on African-Americans in one single place. And now you're the contributor from the Virgin Islands to, to, the, to, the, to, that, art, to that website. Yes, I will be. Black I Pass. don't believe that there's anyone in the Virgin Islands who is writing for Black Past. Well, we are now, right, Dr. Richardson? <laughs> I am listening assiduously. <laughs> all right, already. Okay, good. Well, there's so much to talk about, and I'm going to hop, skip, and jump because okay. I learned about something today that I never even knew existed. Well, I knew it existed, but I never knew that we could have full access to it. What I'm referring to, a lot of our ancestors we read about, heard about, listened to their music, know about some of the work they have done, but we never really knew where they were buried. Today, I found out there's a place in, where is it? It's in Pennsylvania. It's called yes. uh, Cemetery. And there, there's a lot of well-known African-Americans. And you, well, you're writing an article, not an article, but a manuscript now you're working on about one of those those members. Uh, can you tell us about that, please? Eden Cemetery is listed and located in Collingdale, Pennsylvania. It opened in 1902 under duress. The neighborhood that they're located in has a large um, racial tension background. Wow. And in, when, the, when the cemetery was about to open up in 1902, the residents decided that they wanted to protest, and they stood in front of the opening to the cemetery to bar the cemetery owners from burying anyone. While the cemetery, while they were going through an injunction with the local court, a wife of one of the board members passed away. And they had to, in the middle of the night, go to the cemetery to bury Miss Celestine Cromwell because they could not do it during the day because of the injunction that was against burying anyone on the land through the neighborhood. 
Wow. They successfully opened in 1902 and were able to list and open up a location under Miss Celestine's name. And they've opened up several locations since. They still have room on the property to open up other locations. They have a good 16 locations. They're named wow. after famous people. And they have the nation's largest amount of notable African Americans that you can find. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Marion Anderson, the opera singer, is yeah. buried in Eden Cemetery. The founder of the Philadelphia newspaper, the Philadelphia Inquirer, is buried in that cemetery. There's over 40,000 United States colored troops that came from all over the world that are buried in that cemetery, many in unmarked graves. There are founders of local fraternity and sorority chapters that are buried there as well. There is a martyr in Philadelphia. His name is Octavius Cotto, who was actually a member of my church as well. His father was a pastor there. But Uh Octavius Cotto was martyred when he was shot in the back while standing outside for African-Americans' rights. He was protesting for they were trying to sign up so that they could be legal citizens and vote in the local election. Sure. Cotto was shot in the back. He was responsible for uplifting many colored soldiers working within the church. He was responsible for Philadelphia's first baseball team, the Philadelphia Pythians. And it's a beautiful space that I spent the last year in photographing. Okay. All right. Very well. Have a blessed day. Mm-hmm. Cemetery. I've been going okay. through different parts of the cemetery and photographing the entire cemetery for the cemetery as well as for a web page called Find a Grave, where volunteers like myself can upload pictures of headstones that they've taken and transcribed so that ancestors all over the world can find their family. Oh, that's wonderful, wonderful, amazing. Now, I'm looking at the pamphlet I got from you today. It says also in that cemetery you would find the Negro League baseball players. As famous as they were, as productive as they were, they had no place else to be buried than there. Is that correct? Yes. Yes. In the late 1800s, early 1900s, there were not a lot of cemeteries that admitted African-Americans. Churches had cemeteries. Hello? Some of the churches. Excuse me. Uh, We were interrupted momentarily. Yes, we were. Okay, One second. fine. We're back. We're back on. Okay. We're back, Doc. Okay. No problem. Very well. Thank you. Mm-hmm. Okay. Sorry about that, uh, UL. That's all right. Your your question again? Uh, about the National League baseball players and how they were buried there. Yes, and the, the cemeteries. We were discussing the cemeteries in Philadelphia and how so Eden Cemetery actually has several African-American cemeteries in it. Most of the churches. Excuse me. Excuse me. One point of clarification for my own edification. Did you say National League or Negro League? Negro League baseball players. That's what I thought. That's what I thought. What came across was National League. Anyway, go ahead. Yes, for a brief time, there was um, the, the National Negro League. They had their own league. That only lasted for maybe 20 years, I believe, before the the National Baseball League took over and African Americans were assimilated into it. Mm-hmm. Oh, I see. So interesting. We did have our own baseball league, but it was thwarted by the um, larger competitive system and, and assimilating. There are many pictures out, out there on the internet of the baseball teams that did exist that were completely African-American. Yes, I know. Persons, for example, who came over later to the National League, not just Jackie Robinson, but even before Jackie Robinson, we can look at such things uh, 
what was happening in terms of in the United States. But I wanted to make a quantum leap and go back and point out the interesting thing about Philadelphia, the city of brotherly love, which the Quakers are, were responsible for providing or procuring a haven for people who are non-Caucasian escaping from the Deep South or wherever for freedom, how in yes. fact later on we would see that in fact it becomes noteworthy to know it was the first. The city of Brother Love became the first real nation's capital, so to speak, even before yes. 1776. So it's oh, important. Yes. Yeah. Go ahead. I'm sorry. We do have the capital preserved in Philadelphia, Pennsylvania, George Washington's home where That's he lived right. before right. he moved. Actually, Washington never actually lived in the White House as the first president. He lived it in Philadelphia. No. He lived it in Philadelphia. He lived in Mount right. Vernon. He That's had other right. places that he stayed. He did not live in the White House. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, it was not built. Why well, I said it's because um, I am very familiar and I have great pride in what happened in the city of Brotherly Love, Independence Hall and all of that, and Marion Anderson and all of that. But I also want to make yeah. a quantum leap back to your name. There is a very famous operatic singer, of course. She was Caucasian, Brigitte Nielsen, who sang the roles of very, very strong heroines and what happened not only in Norway, not only in Scandinavia per se, but in fact how it ought to be sung. And she had pointed out that the voices that would best represent that would be voices of the people of color or some matrix thereof. And the reason I said it is even Marion Anderson, who opened what we call the business of blacks going into the operatic world and singing, we learn that, in fact, Marion Anderson did not break into the operatic world until she was really a bit past being prima donna assoluta, which means a fine soprano or artist who is at a higher rank. And the important thing about that is the daughters of the American Revolution were the ones who enabled her to make her presentation, and uh, even New yes. York and all that. Yeah, okay, go ahead. I'm sorry. I just wanted to be sure. Yes. That. Go ahead. During our um, interruption, you missed us uh, speaking about the fact that Marian Anderson is buried in the cemetery, in Eden Cemetery, that we were discussing. Oh, all right. I'm sorry about that. Very well. That's that's a piece that you had. We were speaking of the, the some of the notable individuals that yeah. are located that are in. You don't have the the privilege of of um, having been, been giving the information for Eden Cemetery before the show. But I was um, yeah. continuing to say that Eden Cemetery has assimilated other black cemeteries that had to close down. Uh, specifically Lebanon Cemetery, which is located in downtown Philadelphia, Mm -hmm. something that a friend of mine has actually just completed a manuscript about the issues that came along with Lebanon Cemetery. Lebanon Cemetery was opened in the mid-1800s by a previous church member of mine. His name is Jacob White Sr., who's also buried in Eden. Most of the White family is buried in Eden Cemetery. But he was a very prominent black businessman that came from the South. And he was a barber, and he was listed as a dentist, he was listed as a doctor. Um, he was a real estate mogul and had a lot of land in Lebanon Cemetery. But the scandal about Lebanon Cemetery comes with a local college, mm-hmm. Jefferson College, and a higher up within Jefferson College ordered his medical students to remove bodies from Eden Cemetery to use as cadavers. Oh, yes. At one point, Eden Cemetery was almost empty of bodies because they had been stolen and used, and our ancestors were further desecrated. They may have have been raised out of slavery by the work that they have done, emancipated themselves, but in their death, they were not laid to rest. They were 
further desecrated by being used as cadavers. My goodness. Well, it's interesting to note that a person of great prominence here in the Virgin Islands, specifically in St. Thomas, Dr. Alfred E. attended Jefferson Medical College and received his medical training and degree from there, along with Dr. Mm. Cora Christian. Uh, Dr. Cora yeah. Christian resides on the island of St. Croix, and Dr. Alfred O'Hee resides here on the island of St. Thomas. I mentioned those names because then, as you mentioned, Jefferson Medical College, it brought to my mind the fact that there are Virgin Islanders who went to Jefferson Medical College. And in addition, mm. I mu- I'm going to put this in as a plug. I also studied in Pennsylvania, though not <laughs> in Jefferson or whatever. I studied there. Mm-hmm. Uh, yes, uh, University of Pennsylvania and also at Indiana University, located in Beaver Falls, Pennsylvania. So it's interesting. Excuse me a minute. Yes? Well, Doc is being okay, distracted. Well. I just want to mention to the audience, I'm sorry about the wind distraction. That's all right. Now yeah. I'm curious to know if the people who attended Jefferson College know anything about this scandal that happened with the college in the mid 1800s. I I cannot say I do not know, but I, the two names I've given you, if they do know, that will be an excellent source because they can give you, well, not primary, but at least secondary, and certainly would not be tertiary information because they would be products of the institution of Jefferson Medical yes. College. Yeah. Are Etienne, That's very you know interesting. Doctor, Doctor Heat and Doctor yes. Christian. I know them both. Yes. Well, they're cousins. Yes. yes, I know you know they're them contemporary. both. Contemporary. Yes. Yes, they are. Yeah. Okay, Dr. Heat and I sit, sit in the same choir section at church every Sunday. You and Dr. Heat? Okay. Yep. Yep, yep, yep. Oh. Anyhow, let's go back to someone else. Go ahead. Go ahead. I'm else. sorry for that diversion. Hannah Till. Uh, excuse me a minute. You all, are you finished with the, that section of the cemetery? Yes, yes, just giving you a little bit of background about sure. it and letting you know that there are several other cemeteries yes. inside of Eden Cemetery, yes. which make yes. it so notable. Um, when I Before I left the city, they had just celebrated their 115th anniversary. Wow. And one more, well, two more people I want to mention real quick at that cemetery. Now, yes. black folks, during, since the uh, Civil Rights Movement, have become familiar with the song, We Will Overcome. But it was originally written as I'll Overcome Someday. It was written by Reverend Charles Tyndall. That's right, Reverend Charles Tyndall. Yes. And he he was buried in the same cemetery. Isn't that amazing what we could find when we look? His Uh, headstone is about six feet tall and nine feet wide. Wow. Is black with one of his has his his whole profile, his entire body, not just yeah. a picture of his face, but his whole top of his um, head to about his waist. Wow. Um, maybe his yeah is on the headstone as well as uh, some of his music, and gives a bit of background about the church that he was attached to, Tinley Temple, which in mm. Philadelphia continues to do the Messiah. Every Christmas, and their beautiful wow. church on yeah. Broad Street in Philadelphia. It is a wonderful yeah. service where many um, different choirs and musicians that are located throughout Philadelphia, and even in New York, actually come to Philadelphia to participate in yearly. Wow. He has yeah. one of the largest headstones when you first come into the cemetery. I'm just being blown away by all the information you're offering. I think this is good for the schools. You should be speaking each and every school in the Virgin Islands <laughs> and and blend with our culture. You'll see, oh, man, it will be amazing for our students. One last person from that cemetery. You said you're writing yeah. a manuscript on Hannah Till. Tell the audience, please, a little bit about Hannah Till. 
Well, my manuscript is going to be based on, um, actually I have a few books that I'm writing on, but not specifically on Hannah Till because the woman who found Hannah Till's record is writing a a book currently about notable African-American women. So I'd like to have her have the opportunity to put her manuscript out first before I give my bit of information. Hannah Till was interviewed when she was 105. Wow. She lived to be 104. She lived to be 105. And when she was interviewed, the gentleman who did the interview put all these interviews of older African-Americans and notable people into a book called The Annals of Philadelphia. The book is from the 1830s. And the woman, Dr. Marion Lane, she came across uh, Hannah's interview and was fascinated that this woman had been born a slave. She was sold three times first at the age of 15, and the woman was able to emancipate herself at the age of 35. Her and her husband relocated from New York to Philadelphia when the general, General Washington, put out a call of all arms, a call to arms for everyone, including African Americans, to help with the American Revolutionary War, which Mm -hmm. is considered our first war. And Hannah Till and her husband became employed with the general. They were not slaves because we know the general owned over 200 slaves and may have had relations with some of these slaves. But, and we, we consider him associated with slaves. But Hannah Till and her husband Isaac were free and employed with the general as his personal cooks. Wow. As they began to lose soldiers, they took Isaac into the soldier part. Hannah stayed with General George Washington for six and a half years. Six and a half years at Cab Valley Forge in Philadelphia. Wow, interesting. She had a child in the winter of 1779. It was a very bad winter. It was the winter of a blizzard. And she had a child, but she did not leave the general's side because the chosen way to assassinate someone in those times was poisoning. Mm -hmm. It would have been done through the food. So you needed to make sure that you had a trusted person in your kitchen who was your cook who was making your food. There's a story attached to that I can tell you very quick. There was another poisoning. There was a poisoning attempt on a general's life. He had left Philadelphia to go to New York, and he was having a meeting with other generals about the war. And a young lady named Phoebe Francis the daughter of Samuel Francis, who owns the Boar's Head Tavern, which still exists in New York, in Brooklyn, New York, at this time. Phoebe was only 11 years old. And Phoebe was the general's cook while he stayed at the home of New York for two months. At 11 years old, she was a cook and housekeeper. She was preparing the food, and she saw a gentleman put something on the general's food. She wasn't quite sure, and she took the food out to the table, and she wasn't, she was looking at the man, looking at the food. She decided to throw the food out the window. The man tried to run out the room. Someone grabbed the man. Someone grabbed the little girl, Phoebe. And someone said, look, they looked outside, and Phoebe had some chickens in the yard that were pecking at the food, and they died instantly. Wow. Phoebe, well, at 11 years old, thwarted a poison plot for General Washington all by herself. So when I get dressed and I tell my children at school that story, I tell the children that no matter how big or small you are, you can always do something very important. Let's back up a little well, bit. When you, say, when you get dressed, it's one minute, Doc. One minute, Doc. Okay. One second. When you say get dressed, please explain what that means. <laughs> I know it you're... means that I like to also put on the period clothing of the time. If it there was slavery, go. if it was colonial, if it was Victorian, if it was Renaissance, different eras where they dressed differently throughout the ages in the past. Can you re- can so you I have re- several that? outfits, yes. yes, where I become that living historian, being yes. that person, talking yes. as, I, as if I am, I am that person and what I did at that time. Amazing, so I become amazing. Phoebe, I become yes. Hannah Till, I become yes. these people. Fantastic, amazing. Go ahead, Doc, all yours. What I was going to say was just as a, an aside, but very much in tandem with, when you talk with our older folks, 
they will always tell you there are two people with whom you must maintain or you try to maintain an even keel and you never inquire or never earn the ire. And those two persons are one, your cook, and your doctor. <laughs> I wonder why. I wonder Good advice. Why. Good advice. Good <laughs> advice. Oh, yes. Oh, yes. Mm. Never. Very good advice. And your doctor. You know, it's interesting because a lot of persons are not aware of the fact that a lot of persons who have come up, for example, let's make it rather contemporary in a sense, when we look at William Jefferson Clinton, who was one of our presidents, his mother was unable to nurse him from the breast. And it was a black woman. Yes. Who nursed him, gave him suckling, and so that when we stop and we think about all that went on, we have much to be proud of, and they, meaning the other folks, have much to be grateful for, particularly yes. when we look at not only the arts, not only politics, not only military, or not only whatever, all walks of life. The strand is there. And if we are careless with it, we will lose it, and our ancestors or those who come after us would never know. Therefore, the work that you are doing is so important because it it gives connectivity to that which went before, that which is today, and that which will be on tomorrow. So it is very important, and I'm very pleased to hear that you are doing this and that you have put into writing, not just the oral presentation, because it is said also we did not put our thoughts, our moods, and our whatever experiences on the dried leaves of books. So that the reason I'm saying that is even when you stop and you think about it, when you look at book, the Latin term is liber. And the page is the folio. So you get the combination of liber folio. And we were the oral tradition from the mouth to the air and sell them to the printed page. Well, there were many reasons for that, even the great Phyllis Wheatley, who was able to write her poetry. But the point I'm trying to make is that so much went on that is unrecorded, but I'm so glad that you are now able to unearth much of this and put it in documented, acceptable documented form, not just in the United States documented form, but throughout the world, the global acceptance or the learnings of all people, even going back to Africa and even going back to Greece, because it's so important. We did not just happen to be here. No, we did not. Go ahead. I'm sorry. Go ahead. No, no, I'm just I'm just agreeing with you. We did okay. not just get here. Right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, one of the and things we were not endeavor. just brought here. What I mean right. is we were not just brought here. Yeah. Right. And you're able well, to tie the European, the African, the North American, and specifically the Caribbean diaspora in terms of the crosses yes. and what was being done. Because when we stop and think about it, there was one continent, Pangaea, which was Africa. And if you notice, or if anyone should go to a map and look at the geophysical structure yes. of the continents, one would see they all broke off from Africa. There was really only one migration, and the migration came from Africa north, not other yes. as people would have us think or believe, if we are silly enough to think that it went from south to north. And so, as a matter of fact, that's one of the reasons the Nile River is the only river in the world that flows from south, south to north. All other rivers, yes. waterways, flow from north to south. And there's a reason for that. I mean, we could get into it at a later time, point in time, but I'm uh-huh. very glad if you're doing that. Thank well, you. This, Thank you. I... You're most welcome. Wow. Let me interrupt both of you for a moment, please. 
we got so carried away with <laughs> listening to what you all had to offer that we forgot to let our listeners know how they can call in. So let me do that now. Our call-in number is 347-237-4374. And that number is 347-237-4374. Every Saturday at noon, Eastern Time or Atlantic Time, depending on how you look at it, we will be here from noon until 1. And you will, without imposing on you, I would love to invite you back. Your doors are, Our doors are wide open. You're welcome to come back anytime, any Saturday, and just contribute whatever you want to contribute. Well, let's go back to our discussion about UL and what you have been doing and what you want to do while you're here in the Virgin Islands, particularly on St. Thomas. So, UL, let's, let's go a little bit about your background. You've done several jobs or, or you've held several businesses that relate to, um, well, to kind of where your interest is. Tell us about your background, please, in terms of your entrepreneurial skills and interests. My mother was a crafter. Okay. My father was a builder. My father built his first house in Sickleville, New Jersey, I, before I was born. And the house that I was born in, my father built as well, and most of the furniture in it. So I learned how to chop wood at a very early age. We lived oh, on really? um, three and a half acres of land in southern New Jersey that my father had purchased. And uh, he built our family boat that we boated on for a good 15, 17 years of my life. Wow. It could hold about five people, all my, my siblings and my mom and dad as well. And uh, my mother used to do macrame and crafting. So they both gave me entrepreneurial skills and okay. taught me that I don't always want to work for other people. I, I should have a businesses of my own. My father told me to be ambidextrous. What happens if I break my right hand? I need how to write with my left. He yeah, told me if I became sense. a painter and I lost my eyesight, what else would I do? So I needed yeah. to learn how to do things with my hands. So... I learned at a very early age how to crochet, and at the age of 17, I began doing uh, vending as going to different events and selling baby blankets and baby booties. And then I started (laughs) to have my own children, and I put some of those things down, and I moved on to some photography manipulating, um, making cards for people. Uh, baby cards, invitations to um, birthday parties with pictures and things in it, and do some photography at the event as well. So I had a business doing that. I moved on from there, making some candles out of gel. You know, things go into trends. So I was doing trendy things, but none of them felt right. They just, I was just something that I was trying to do. And as I started my crafting business, I began to travel, go to different islands. And every time I picked something up, it said made in China. But I was in Puerto Rico, or I was in Bermuda, or I was in Hawaii. I was not in China. And when I went to Hawaii, I saw some local made things that were so very expensive. It was kind of out of my reach. And I began to think about tourists like myself. You can get to these places, but you may not be able to afford the local homemade things, so I wanted to make things that were made from the islands and places that I went to and make them cheaper. So I'm back at home in the States. Here I do have a collection of black sand from Puerto Rico and these tiny shells from Molokai, Hawaii, and beautiful giant shells that I found in Bermuda and make all these wonderful things with them, but I'm not in the islands. (laughs) <laughs> and no one really wanted to buy those things because they yeah. weren't on vacation in the islands where it meant something to them. Yeah. So after praying over it, I felt, you know, I came here to St. Thomas twice and I didn't see, I know there are a lot of local artists here, but someone else is selling their things. So I thought to come here and sell my own items. Fantastic. But still, that wasn't a good fit either. Oh. As I've been here for a few weeks, a little over a month or so, I've been on the island, and I listen to the father very well. He's put me into another direction, which is why we're talking today. The history, the culture, yes. and what people who come here to the island, what they, they're missing. When you go on vacation in the States, many places you can go to a plantation. 
you can stay at the plantation. Uh, they'll mm-hmm. tell you that there are ghosts from slaves that were wrong that are on the property. You can get a story about the people who lived there or what happened to them. And you can go across the nation in, in, in the United States and go to several different slavery museums, black history museums, black Holocaust museums, find out about what happened to African Americans in a different place. And now we have this large national museum that everyone is running to in D.C. Mm-hmm. But you don't have much here in St. Thomas. The history is either what I've seen so far, and correct me if I'm wrong, but I've seen a, a hotel on pi- about pirates at Bluebeard's, and there's the St. <laughs> Thomas Historical Trust that covers some of the Danish history. Yes. But I don't see any African-American history, no cultural history. Well, there is. There is. We'll talk about that in a minute. In fact, Dr. Richardson, would you go ahead and explain to you well the difference between St. Thomas and St. Croix? You'll find more agricultural events and activities over on St. Croix than you would be on St. Thomas, and there's a reason for that. Doc, go right ahead. Please. I read that. I read that. Go ahead. Oh, good. Great. No, the re- I was only going to make one statement. Actually, it was a question, and that is, the question is, why do you not find it? Why is it not there? I remember when I went to school in New Jersey. That is in New Jersey, New Brunswick, and the mighty Raritan River that flows there. I was studying at Rutgers University, and I realized that, in fact, even when we stop and think about the relationship that blacks had there and with educational structure became so pivotal that persons left. But to come back locally, and we can do this again in terms of later on, the show will not be sure. long enough. Nevertheless, sure. St. Croix has a different economic, political, social structure, different from St. Thomas, different from St. John, different from St. St. Thomas and John St. Croix are the three, but each Water one Island. has its own distinct. St. Thomas and John right. St. Croix, each has a distinctive flavor. Now, people, as you just heard, again, interjecting Water Island. Water Island is the oldest of the Virgin Islands. Not only that, but Water Island, for a long period of time, was not considered Virgin Islands territory property. It was United States, and also used as a military fortress, and it was also the place where the bastions of guns and so munitions were stored. And the reason that was so was because it was a protective. If you look at how Water Island is and where it's located, it protects the southwestern part of St. Thomas so that yes. direct address, access to water is from subbase, and that was a naval fortress or innate, what we call a naval arsenal, native uh, pen when the U-boat yes. underwater became. But more importantly, if you look at Hassel Island, Hassel Island also was a protected for Shardamaya. To get back to Etienne's question or statement, why was that so? Because it was different. There's something that's very different about St. Thomas that gives great insight into what happened. And St. Croix was not always Danish. St. Croix belonged to the French. And they did not become a part of the Danish West Indies until long after. Nevertheless, Mm -hmm. the town of Christiansted and Frederickstead, of which, Mm -hmm. believe it or not, when people look at the geography, St. Croix in the Virgin Islands, is the most eastern point of the United States when you include territories and possessions, so to speak. You because, uh, yes, at the end, when you look at Port, point you Port Utah, yes. Port, it's the easternmost point. So the sun, when you look at the rising and the sinking and the setting of the sun, the Virgin Islands is the first place to see the sunrise in the United States, or if you're looking in terms of the connectivity there. But for Christian Byrne, 
which is a fort in or on St. Croix, is parallel to Fort Christian on St. Thomas. However, they had similar but not identical reasons and responsibilities, and we can do that also a bit later. There's a whole lot. So I'm glad that you are here and, and that you are working and bringing all these divergent points of view and interested points of view together because when we look at Bluebeard's castle, as you mentioned, Bluebeard was really a romanticized version. Yes. He didn't have a Bluebeard, yes. Yes. you know, as a yes. Blackbeard who was Edward Teach, his real name. But important mm-hmm. enough to look at the fortification, Fairchild Castle, Bluebeard's Castle, Blackbeard Castle, and of course, Fort Christian were fortifications to protect the islands. So there are, I don't know to what right. extent you are interested in going subterraneally to the tunnels underground that connect one to the other as lookout points for such things as privateering, piracy, and hearing. Okay. So it's very interesting to observe those kinds of things. Yeah, go and ahead. If I may, let me interject for a minute, please. And then URL. The name yes. castle is a misnomer. They're not castles at all. They just happen to have tall towers to them, and that's about oh, yes. as far as a castle. Yes, <laughs> castle. yes I more... understand by by looking. Okay. Since I stayed, I stayed at the hotel at Bluebeard's, <laughs> okay. and I took okay. the walk up to um, yes. to Blackbeard's. Okay, oh, that's I see that they're not actual castles. No, they're no not. Fortification. Yes. No. And more importantly, yes. the difference between St. Thomas and St. Croix in terms of the geography, St. Thomas, as you can see, is filled with hills and not not suited for agriculture, while St. Croix is just the opposite. It's flatland, and there's nothing but agriculture. Well, not nothing, but primarily agriculture does very well there. So you'll find a lot of plantations, estates, whatever name they go by, they were primarily the source of the the, the slavery days and the plantations and the crops that came out of those plantations as opposed to St. Well, yes. St. Croix, Croix is really, and still is, although they may not want to spend much time there anymore, St. Croix is really agrarian. Agrarian. St. Thomas is okay. mercantile. Okay. mercantile. We had the harbor that brought ships all around the world, even way back in the days of slavery yes. days, in the days of uh, piracy. And they don't have that on St. Croix because we have a harbor that is well protected naturally, yes. physically, by the two islands that we we have in front that Dr. Richardson mentioned yes. earlier. Has a lot on water. Mercantilism and yes. maritime activities yes. are the hallmarks yes. of St. Thomas. Even today, yes. the tourism industry is a product of that. But on yes. St. Croix, it's agrarian. The soil yes. All the way. And the product all the way, so. But we still have time to party. We party in all islands. We party on St. Croix for their carnival in December and January. We party on St. Thomas in April for our carnival. We party on on St. John on 4th of July and Emancipation Day, the 3rd of July, followed by the American 4th of July on the 4th. So all that is taken into place, comes to place. And we can party all year long. And our neighbors next door on the island of Tortola, where the British Virgin Islands, they party on August Monday, which is leading up to the first August, the first Monday in August. So we may have had slavery, but we have a lot of parties going on now. (laughs) One of the things things I would like to interject at this point is there is a drive, a move afoot because of the devastating torrential rains last we week yes. on the island of Tortola, Tortola which means yes. turtle dove. We are organizing groups of persons or if not persons, if you can make contribution to the island of Tortola. I refer to it as looking at the Caribbean Sea, looking at the Atlantic Ocean, looking at Drake passage, Sir Francis Drake's passage, I prefer Mm -hmm. to reference it as hands across the sea. No man is an island independent unto himself. Each man is related. Each island is related. 
Each man's joy is joy to me. Each man's grief my own. We do need one another. This yes, I can friend. Each yes. man as my brother, each man as my friend, as you can realize in the paraphrase of the very important piece of genre that we have. But very importantly, whatever our listening audience can do, contribute, like medical supplies, foods, canned goods, whatever, non-perishable, please get together with your organizations or your churches or whatever, and I'm using this as a pitch for helping the persons on the island of Tortola particularly to uh, get back on their feet. They are our brothers. We're not divided by the waters. I refer to this. We are joined by the waters as the yes. waters wash our shores. Mm-hmm. Yes. Let me add something, too. Folks can also go to their nearest Rotary Club and make donations. Rotary is very much actively involved in helping out our brothers and sisters on on Tortola. Okay. Okay, great. Well, let's go back then to the phone number, and then we'll wrap things up because we're down to our last 10 minutes or so. The phone number is 347-237-4374. Folks, if you are able to call now, we encourage you to call. If not, just save that number. And by all means, every Saturday when we're on from noon Eastern Time, until 1, feel free to give us a call. We'd love to interact with you. we love this to be an interactive show. And let's go back now to our guest, Joel. We certainly want you to know that you're welcome here. We thank you for your contributions, and we hope that this is just the beginning of our interaction, com- communication of what you have to offer and what our islands have to offer you. So let's wrap things up now with uh, some closing thoughts. What closing thoughts would you have to offer, UL? I first came to the Virgin Islands as a tourist. And as a tourist, I was looking for the things that I liked. I was looking for the things that I was into, and that's what attracted me here. There's a lot of history. There's a lot of cemeteries. Yeah. And the, what attracts me with the cemeteries is that you don't get the inclement weather that the states does. So your headstones are in immaculate condition. I don't have to decipher them the same way that I have to do in the states. Yes. Yes. I encourage folks to get involved in history. I'm in my early 40s, and a lot of my friends back in the states that are doing this living historian or historical reenacting, however, being a historian and all together, are getting up in age, and just as in our churches, as in our schools, that there's always a new class coming in, we need to educate those younger than us so they will be interested, so they can continue to tell these stories as well and use the new technology that has come with this new age to reach those across the nation, across borders, across the world. Um happy to be here in the Virgin Islands and St. Thomas specifically. I hope to add to its culture, bring about many things that have been hidden with some of the gifts that I have in doing genealogy and and researching our ancestors and reaching out to others that are here on the island that are already doing what I've done. I'm sure there are many people here that are much more knowledgeable about this area about on St. Thomas, that we can get together and work yeah. towards bringing island history to the forefront. Yes. I'm grateful for you, ATN Gibbs, Dr. Richardson, to allow me to be on the radio station, and I would love to be able to come back and talk oh. more about the history across the United welcome. States and the nation. You're welcome. You're welcome. Any Saturday, any time at all. I just want the audience to know, you may not know you well right now, but you'll get to know her. Two things will stand out immediately. Well, actually three or more, but I want to point out three. She's a craft person, so you'll see her selling her crafts that she makes herself here in Ireland with local entities from Ireland. But even more important, she is a photographer who does underwater photography. Interesting. And then when it comes time for her to have her bike, you probably will still ride a bike around town, up and down those hills. <laughs> Especially yes. <laughs> yes. So welcome, welcome, welcome. We welcome you. Great. 
Let's Thank turn to you. Dr. Richardson. You're welcome, ma'am. You're welcome. Dr. Richardson, close yes. thoughts and any other comments you would like to leave, please. Thank you kindly. I should like to point out the following. When we talk about history, it is the Latin word. It comes from res deste, which means things done. Things which were done have to be recorded and enshrined in some fashion to enable perpetuity to come, those who come after, to learn. Therefore, with raise geste, what you're doing now, Ms. Uel, enables us to provide that bridging of the gap, and that's important. Secondly, when we stop and we look about, we would know that no matter how far we would like to go, always had a beginning, and the Sankofa bird, which flies backward, is what appears, mm, looking to see yeah. what it has passed in order to realize where it ought to go, is crucially important. The West African winds, and the Sahara desert, and the sand, and the hurricanes which come off the coast of North Africa, are all annual reminders of from whence we came to where we are going. Never ever accept that in fact those are thermometers and barometers of things done, places in, and places to where we're going. On that, I say thank you so very much and welcome once again, Ms. Uel, and in fact to the Virgin Islands and to our listening audience. Farewell, Dr. Richardson. Thank you very much, too. Yes. Now, you will. You are here with your whole family, so that means your children will be involved in our schools. Or may I ask, how many children are there? Only my youngest is with me, my nine-year-old. Okay, okay, okay. okay. The reason I ask that is because if they were different ages, they'd probably be going to different schools. I don't know. But Dr. Richardson probably could help you in that direction. But uh, okay. definitely, definitely get in contact with the Department of Education. They will love to have you there and share what you're doing. There's also opportunities for you to be guest speakers in a different school and be a real live, real live, as you put it, living historian and share with them. I know it will be stateside material, but nevertheless, somewhere or another, we could integrate that with our local material. Even Dr. Richardson can help you with that, and we can work we with you on that. Yes. We must yes. all remember it is the triangle of trade that made yes. America yes. great. Yes. Europe, North America, Africa, but then the Virgin Islands, Caribbean, intermittent, the triangle of trade, slaves from Africa, sugarcane from the West Indies, molasses, and then sending it back to North America yes. or Europe. The triangle of trade is very important. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yes. Well, folks, thank you very much, you all, for taking time to be with us. I know you had a little difficulty trying to hold that phone, and the wind was blowing you in the other direction. We do apologize yeah. for that, but nevertheless, that's, you're in the Virgin Islands now, and that's the wind as it is this time of year. Yeah. Wait till you, you experience your first hurricane, then you'll see when like wind never exists. You know what? It's funny, but my husband and I are actually looking forward to seeing that. Oh, no, don't say that. No, don't say that. (laughs) You never know. You never know. I am am chuckling. (laughs) I am chuckling to myself and loudly because I said the very same thing when I experienced my first hurricane. All along, I had never seen a hurricane from the time I was born. And I kept saying I wanted to see one. Believe you me. When I experienced one, I said, Nunca, Not again. never again, no more, no man, as you say in Spanish, no more. No, it forces you to, no mas, no mas. No, no mas, no mas. Yeah. It forces them to remove. And you do you not want, want to, see the power- to have to go through. No. Yeah, if you want to see the power of God, you'll see a hurricane, then you'll see the power of God, yes. Well, yes. folks, we're going to wrap up. Thank you very much, all, all both of you. Uh, UL, we thank you again for being with us. Dr. Richardson, as You're usual, welcome. thank you for being here. Thank you, and, and we'll have be a blessed day, next... everyone. Yeah. And have a strong end. I do not <laughs> have not a, a weak end, because when ends are weak, they fall apart. They become <laughs> unraveled. 
and things that fall mm. apart and become unravel, mm. if they fall apart, you know they cannot hold. But this will hold. Therefore, have a strong end. Okay. Uh, Uriel, this is for you, Doc, uh, General Bordeaux. The thought about General Bordeaux. Oh, yeah. You won't have time to listen to the whole thing, but at least you did a piece of it. My family, now that it's all clear, 